This is Flipping Tables. Welcome to Flipping Tables, a podcast about technology, gaming, and culture. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Edwards. And I'm David Lyons. And this music you just heard is a cover of our theme song. So I want to give a shout out to Reptile Fiction, a.k.a. friend of the show, Benji Robinson. Thank you, Benji. And uh, I have to say, he totally nailed the Mega Man aesthetic. He, he calls this a, a Dr. Wily remix. And yeah, which is good, because if he'd called it anything else and then I heard it, I would have been like, no, he named it He's wrong. He's a damn liar. <laughs> damn dirty liar. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I mean, because I, I, our original theme, I think, has like a very Mega Man feel. And I've heard other versions that you mixed, and I've always referred to them as like oh this is a different level from the same game and this this has that feel but this is like the ending theme or maybe a title screen depending yeah (laughs) like the storyline if it's like a real serious like Mega Man 4 with the scarf yeah before it like zooms up to a skyscraper and gets all excited that's right (laughs) yes so definitely check out reptile fiction we'll have a link in the show notes he does lots of amazing 80s music type stuff Needs to do more of this awesome chiptune stuff. And also, any other musician listeners, wink, wink, nudge, <laughs> nudge, make a cover of our song and we'll feature it. It's very true. So I think everyone has had like this Comcast shenanigans on the brain. And, yeah. and before I let you go off onto your crazy rant <laughs> that I'm so excited about, <laughs> I just want to say that I've noticed on some of these Verge articles and some of these Google Plus posts and tweets and things that it's not long into the discussion before someone's like, what's all of a sudden this nonsense with Comcast? Why is everybody upset all of a sudden? (laughs) And for me as like a tech person having used Comcast, unfortunately for years now, I'm like, no, this is not a new hatred. Yeah. People just happen to be talking about it. The fickle internet you're thinking of. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is, and, and these are not subjective, like, Oh, I don't like them because they just disagree with my worldview. Like, these are objectively provable, throttling, bottlenecking. Long-established Yeah, terrible <laughs> customer service behaviors. So this is not really like a sudden – I think fickle internet's a good way to describe it. This is not just people getting in a tizzy over nothing. Yeah, it's not an outrage porn. Yeah. So <laughs> I think outrage porn is probably even better. Um, I think the, the twist here is that there's a massive – amount of verified Verizon, or not Verizon, (laughs) Comcast employees speaking out. And, like, they're independently verified by these tech websites. They're not just, like, random forum rants, like, I worked at Comcast, it's a dungeon. It's (laughs) like, no, they actually vetted these sources and then took their stories. And, like, it's just, like, unanimously, like, you know, you, you, you feel bad for the end the the technician or the customer support person that has to carry out these awful policies. Like with the recent, like, so the most famous recent thing was Ryan Block. And I think he's a, see an Ars Technica or Engadget guy. Anyway, he's like a prominent tech blog editor. Um, His wife tried to cancel Comcast and they just would not let her. 
Like the agent was just like, why would you want to do that? I don't understand. We have the best product. Why would you want to do that? Yeah, She's w- like, it doesn't matter. Cancel it. Yes. It doesn't matter <laughs> if my reason is it was in my horoscope today in the Inquirer. <laughs> I don't have to provide you a reason. And so like already when like if you're if you're uh, dating someone or married to someone like the who's going to call Comcast thing is like, <laughs> OK, if you call Comcast, you don't have to do the dishes this week. Or it's sort of like <laughs> that's like a currency of like, oh, man, I got to call Comcast. Right. No, and, I'll, I'll just do the dishes. You call them. <laughs> and after uh, after she failed to get it canceled. Um, her husband, Ryan Block, so it was Veronica Belmont and Ryan Block, and uh, he did, he had the foresight to record his encounter. He did. Had the same experience and posted it, and that's what the new viral wave of this stuff has come from. Which, And I assume she was, I mean, because she didn't record hers, but I, I assume she was perfectly cordial and hospitable. I mean, Lord knows in his, he's like almost eerie calm. He's yeah. Just, because he knows to, he's being recorded. Well, that's true. <laughs> but it gets to a point where the guy, start, the the technician on the phone, starts asking this series of like rapid fire questions that feel very, you know, scripty. This is my job. I have to go through these, and he starts just saying like, "I'm choosing not to answer." Next question, please. I'm choosing not to answer. Next question. Yeah. It's like whatever we have to do, whatever you have to do to get through this is fine, but I'm I'm choosing not to answer. Next question, please. And it's just like I can imagine him in a courthouse. It's <laughs> like, I please. Okay. Care. That's exactly uh, the old folk singer. Pete Seeger was being interrogated in the 60s by McCarthy for like being communist just because he's kind of a hippie <laughs> folk singer, but he's not. He's not an evil dude. Right. He just wants peace. Um, <laughs> and he he had to constantly do that. Like, where were you singing communist songs at this private event? And he said, I declined to answer. Right. <laughs> just like, that's what it's like. Um, anyway, uh, we don't need to get into details of exactly what Comcast policies are. We'll have some links to that. They're bad. But it's the main point is that it, this is not the one bad egg employee that went off script it's like that's what Comcast wants people to think is like no this is not the way we run our company that was one guy we have to discipline only well, because this went viral <laughs> well and yeah exactly but i'm surprised how many uh like pr slip ups there were in the couple of weeks after this happened because the internal machinations of their organization is are so broken that yeah. when – It's almost little, like they're too big. Maybe there should be smaller companies that have to compete. Yeah. It's, all, it's almost <laughs> like – it's not exactly like that. I mean that's some communist talking, but it's, it's almost like that. But like they uh, – The Verge did a thing that was all these interviews with Comcast technicians and – I've had Comcast technicians that had to come out to my house and I'm reading through these and I'm like, it it was like finding out I'm not the only person who's colorblind, you know, I'm not colorblind, but it was like, if I was born into a world of, you know, grayscale, I wouldn't know what colors are. So seeing all these other things, I was like, oh, I thought I was just always getting the crappy, inexperienced technician out at my house. And it turns out that's the norm. You know, the technician who shows up has the tools to solve the problem, is able to diagnose the problem, and solves the problem after showing up on time and leaving promptly. Like, that's 
the exception. That's the lottery win. Yeah. You know, the person who shows That's up the late. the first appointment of the day. And he, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And his next appointment canceled, so he has time. Yeah. So I, I just, like, it was, I don't know. That was, like, kind of a unifying moment when I was like, oh, good. It's not just me having this unfair standard, this expectation of, like, oh, we'll come out and use your wizardry and magically fix yeah. things. And the more I've had to deal with Comcast, because previously um, on the the East Coast and the South, we have a company called Bright House. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bright House is much, much smaller. I think they got bought up by Time Warner, so now they're part of Time Warner Cable. And they're about to glom into Comcast. Yeah, exactly. But Bright House was actually okay. And I think part of the reason they were okay is because the area that I lived in, you could also have Verizon or AT&T. So there's actually some competition. <laughs> actually some competition. Now, granted, if you literally went across the street, it was only Comcast cable in the ground. So, I mean, they were boxed into a corner where they were like, oh, dear God, if we don't figure this out, Comcast is going to like yeah. eat our lunch. But that's – I mean, isn't that what you want? Like, yeah. You want companies to be like, if we don't do a good job, we will fail. So my my little <laughs> rant I have is like, can you imagine even if we just had another company that was as crappy as Comcast? Like just one more, not better in any way, just equal service, equal pricing shittiness and <laughs> and the only difference was one had to treat you a little better. Yeah. Like that'd be nice. That even that alone would be like revolutionary. Like change the world, change an ISP. <laughs> like a tagline from Heroes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I, that would be, because I would, if I could get the exact same quality of internet service, because I don't have home phone, because, you know, I wasn't born in 1950. Yeah. And, and I don't have television service, because I have the internet. So I only have internet from Comcast. And it's not perfect. I mean, it drops sometimes, and I don't have the lowest tier. So I already feel like I'm paying for your above minimum yeah. service. And if I could get that same quality of internet service from another company but just get better customer service, I'd yeah. switch no question. Even if it was like another 5 or $10 a month, like it would be worth it just to call someone when I have a problem and not – be treated like I'm an idiot, not be treated like I'm yeah. trying to extort them, not be treating them like I'm ungrateful. It's it's a very – no company that has to deal with competition could ever get away with customer service like this. This is a really bad time for Comcast to have all this news though because they're trying to get this Time Warner merger approved. Yes. And uh, they're trying to be like, hey, baby, to the government, <laughs> like – we won't kill no competition. Nah, like. nah, but, you know, my favorite part about that whole thing, and I think we may, we may have talked about this a little bit before, but my favorite part about that is that Comcast came out of uh, you know their cave and said their their volcano lair where they <laughs> they ruled the unit, internet from. They came out and said, "Well, it's not a monopoly because we already don't compete." Since there's already a duopoly, yeah. So you might as well just let us merge because we're already any sense. we're already not in competition with each other. And here's the thing: is you can tell Time Warner Cable kind of doesn't want this to happen because they sort of came out of the limelight looking like battered and afraid, and we're like, yeah, no, there's there's this isn't bad. <laughs> this isn't going to screw anyone completely and ruin things. <laughs> and, you can just 
you can imagine like the the friend who was like forced to go along. Yeah. It's like, hey, we're gonna go over there and we're gonna smash that guy's car. Got a gun behind his and, back. <laughs> yeah, and Time Warner's like, I don't want to do that. And like you're doing it. Uh, yeah, Time Warner <laughs> is just as crappy of a company though. <laughs> they are, but I feel like if I went home today and Comcast knew that the cable in the ground, I could say, screw you guys, I'm going to put AT&T on that cable or Verizon or Time Warner yep. or anyone else. But it's just it's not an option. They know they have me by the balls. And what's worse is in some parts of Denver and Colorado, you can at least get DSL. In my area, I don't even have that option. The only DSL I can get is the super crappy, like, one It's megabit. not a real alternative. Yeah, it's not. And then you could do satellite, I guess. It's not a real alternative. Not, yeah, I mean, it's... Eh. And then what else do you have? Um, uh, like a MiFi? Yeah. I think that's a Verizon brand. But, you so know, like that's a, a hotspot. That's... that's really hit or miss. I mean, even if you pay for unlimited data and you live in a place that has 4G you, and you, you put the thing by a window... Data. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no way... Because they call it unlimited, but it's really like 10 it's gigs. Throttled. Yeah. So that's there's one company that sells this particular type of product, high-speed broadband internet, and that's it. Yeah. And that's not good. And it's not like, oh, well, they're the only people who figured it out. Like, like Apple figured out the Ultrabook before anybody else, but they didn't then own thinness. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, other companies were then allowed to make and sell thin laptops. <laughs> And some of HP's look remarkably similar. <laughs> they do, but like the the. But that's okay. Yeah, but like the carbon, the it's a Toshiba, I think, or not Toshiba, um, ThinkPad. There's a, a ThinkPad carbon. It's got a very ThinkPad industrial look, but it's really thin. And mm-hmm. five or ten years ago, they would never would have bothered to make a laptop like that. So then. The market showed that they want that, and then they came in and they were like, "Well, we'll also service this need." Yeah, but you just can't, you can't do, do that because the infrastructure costs are too high. Well, and you can't—you literally can't go lay cable where other cable is. And even where there might be a physical ability to do that, there's lots of laws and there's lots of what uh, regulation that will prevent new competition. Yeah. Basically it's, it's like it's just you're not allowed to lay wire not because you physically couldn't but because we have a deal. Yeah. <laughs> with the devil. Pray I, we don't alter it. <laughs> so I kind of wonder does this tie So okay, so a lot of prominent tech people have come out against making uh, broadband internet providers into Title II carriers, which if you're not familiar with all this ridiculous law, basically just means they'd be like a power company or a sewer company. So anybody can use the infrastructure. They'd have to have a fair market price to rent it out to other people. Exactly. So anybody can use the infrastructure and everybody's required to maintain it if they use it. So then you kind of spread the cost out. And just, again, this is how the rest of the planet does this. In some other industries in the U.S. It's not like... Yeah, so this is not like a revolutionary idea. (laughs) Like, this is a well-established, proven plan. But some people have come out against that because they don't want government hands to get into the... to regulating the net... But what I'm thinking is if they made Title II the way it had to work and then you had this competition, I think that might also solve a lot of net neutrality issues because if Comcast 
says, oh, well, if you want our premium internet package that includes access to Google and Facebook, then that's $70 a month. Or you can get the crappier stripped down version for $50 a month. If I actually had another option, like Time Warner or Verizon or AT&T or whatever. you, Exactly. So then that would like immediately solve that problem because we have other laws that say if all those companies try to get together and collectively screw us that they can't do that. So there's like the ebook price fixing thing. So they they can't all get together and decide to screw us without facing regulatory scrutiny. Right. And – I think the problem here is that Comcast is a content company and a utility, or I want them to be a utility. Yes. And, like, that having both is what makes them so shitty. Because if they just wanted to be the ISP, they would probably be a much less evil company. Well, they'd have to, because they're... Right now, their product is their crappy on-demand service and their crappy phone. And their but they get to prop that up because exactly. they own the traffic lanes. Exactly. And so if they, and so that's just all sorts of awful incentives not to maintain the infrastructure, but only to sort of maintain and favor parts of the infrastructure, but yeah. not to make a better internet product. I kind of wonder, do you, do you think the internet is for our generation – at least right now, the way manufacturing was for people born in like the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. How so? So when I look at the manu- the way people talk about manufacturing, they say, you know, things used to be made in America and you knew that they were quality. And of course things were made in other parts of the world, but you knew if it was made in America, it was made with quality. And then that, of course, we've gone global and now most stuff is made in China and like Malaysia and a lot of uh, Middle Eastern and, and Asian countries. I feel like we started the internet. Like we literally created it by connecting universities and research institutions. And now we've completely screwed it up. (laughs) Like we have first amendment laws and things like that, that protect what we put on the internet. And that's awesome because there are countries that do not have that. But in terms of infrastructure, we have totally fallen behind. Like we were in first place because we were the only ones who knew we were running the race. Yeah. And then like South Korea and uh, a lot of the European Union countries and Japan, like they just were like, oh, is that what we're doing? We're just connecting a bunch of computers together. Let us show you how it's done. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like I'm embarrassed now when I, cause I have friends overseas. I'm like, oh, your internet, you consider your slowest crappy internet, like the tier I can't even afford because it's yeah. like ultra super business class. And it might be even worse in Canada, or it's just not much better. <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely a lot of countries that are that have fewer crappy yeah. regulations. And and I've seen um, some. So you th- think like it's going global? Like we'll get our internet from some other country somehow eventually. <laughs> I think if they get wireless to a comparable level of stability to wired, which may be impossible. But if they get wireless and the protocols that we're using to a comparable level of stability where Netflix streams as well on a wireless connection as it does, I don't really care if I have a physical cable that connects to my house. Yeah. Like it's not like I'm an old deep sea diver and I need the air hose. Like if if I was a deep sea diver and they could wirelessly the get problem air to is me. wireless gets its own set of rules that lets them be crappy in their own ways. Which I also don't They get understand. to throttle things more. They yep. get to do all sorts of management that lets them 
yeah. control things. Yeah, and we've now absolutely pushed the boundaries of my familiarity with the law, but I have no idea well, why those the things call are different. People wanna, yeah, people want to call, I mean, the people that want things to change, want <laughs> wireless carriers classified as... Yeah, like, well, because you couldn't do that with voice. So there, there is like actually a technological difference between a voice line, like an old-fashioned yeah. phone line, and a data connection. They just happen to run in parallel on modern devices like a smartphone. Yeah. So y- you cannot be on the phone for so long or talk so much or so loud or in a language they don't like where they have any way to legally stop you. Yeah. But if you happen to be making that call over VoIP instead of over the regular line, then for some reason it's different. So do we just need like our current set of judges to die off and we have to hope that (laughs) younger Supreme Court that understands. 20 year olds with pop collars (laughs) and flip flops. I worry about the other things they would rule on though. Yeah. Well, that's, I really, I I'm, I'm of the mindset that, Government should not control everything because they're slow and old-fashioned, and corporations should not control everything because they are amoral entities. Because they're the fox guarding the hen house sometimes. It, yeah, exactly. They're, they're amoral entities who have no obligation to anyone but their shareholders. Yeah. So you can't – those are polar things. You do not want a polar extreme controlling things because yeah. then that's bad, right? Just like – uh, even a lot of Repu- – I mean we don't have to get into a political thing. But I mean even a lot of Republicans kind of shied away from some of the extreme Tea Partiers during the last election because they were like, yeah, I I agree with traditional Republican values. But that guy's kind of crazy. Like, <laughs> I'm not with him you know, because you, you lose the moderates in that way. And it's yeah. harder to convince people on the other side to come to your side if you're being associated with – like demagoguery. Yeah, and like you hear people being called Marxists that are don't have any recognizable Marxism within them. Yeah, it's I like really I th- you keep using that word. <laughs> I think I should familiarize myself with more like communist uh like ideology because people throw those around so much they can't possibly be using it correctly even half the time. That's one of the like not, again not to go political. The <laughs> the grenades thrown at Obama is that he's marxist from the crazy right. side. And I'm like he's probably the most centrist I've seen in a long time. <laughs> he's disappointing everyone. Yes. So <laughs> which is proof that he is not at one extreme <laughs> because no one is happy. So anyway, well, before we get into a crazy political thing, let's talk about something on the internet that pissed me off recently. Okay, flip it. <laughs> I will flip it. So there is a a movement that had a small bit of inertia a few months ago called Tab Closed Didn't Read, and uh, it was sort of like a play on you know Too Long Didn't Read, and it's specifically focusing on. I go to a website and it pops up like some god awful full bleed ad. That totally takes control of the website and totally Sign up blocks. for our newsletter. Yeah. You know, did you think this was a good article? Sign up here to get more. And I don't mind people need to market themselves and, and that's how they make money. That's fine. But just imagine like the face-to-face allegory of you walk into, I don't know, The Gap. And before you're allowed to pick up a shirt and see if it's a color you like, they just wrap an ad around your face <laughs> so that you can't see anything else. Or you're just hanging out and your friend like tells you the first sentence of a great story. And it's like, wait, 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 <laughs> before I finish this story, 
you have to go tell five people about my story, and then I'll finish the story. <laughs> yes. And that is the perfect analogy because I saw for the first time the other day, and, and there's a link in the show notes to this god-awful article um, and a screenshot of it. It's you get to the article, and there there was like a couple sentences or a paragraph, and then – the bottom part is frosted out. You know, I should have checked. I'll bet I could have just web inspector removed it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that does, that's a Band-Aid for a much bigger problem. But the article's frosted out and the the hover thing doesn't say like you have to sign in to read this. Because if they have a paywall, it's like fine. They have a paywall. Fine. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah, but- I, I'm not going to pay for this particular product, but I understand there are products I would pay for. This just isn't one of them. If it was like an ad, I would be really irritated, but I could at least exit close. And maybe if I'm in a good mood, I'd put up with that. This said that I had to share the article on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, or LinkedIn before I could read it. Now, think about that. I have to tell other people that I am recommending they go look at this thing before I know what it is. Yeah. That couldn't threaten <laughs> your credibility at all. No, surely not. I mean, this is totally unacceptable. Anyone who's listening who's ever been to a website that does this, you have to stop reading them immediately. Like, we cannot allow this kind of thing. So you, there's uh, this movement of tab closed didn't read – and there's actually the the guy who sort of created the Tumblr for it or whatever, or, and maybe invented the acronym. Um, also created browser plugins so that you could one click report one of these sites and try to shame them on Twitter. Indeed, he did. And uh, I have one beef with this plugin: is when I encounter a site that does something that bad that I want to call them out on it, I don't want to give them traffic. Yeah, And so I, I'm totally up for calling them out on Twitter, but don't link to their article. Right. Just just call out the Twitter account. Yeah, call out the Twitter account, and then and then in that tweet, it should be like, people retweet this. Like, like maybe... Spread the word of their BS, but make don't... Make a screenshot, but don't yeah. don't reward them for doing... Which, which is actually, I'm, I'm happy, because I didn't think about it at the time, and I'm happy to say my, my tweet followed that exact structure. It's, I called out... The people who whose blog it was, and then I have a screenshot of their BS behavior, but I didn't actually link to them or to any of their work. Yeah, because I don't want people to be reading it. You know, read this tweet and then be like, "Oh, that's very interesting." Gonna be like, go we love this controversy. We get so many more page views. Yeah, I mean, I guess they would get page views, but nobody'd be able to read their goddamn article <laughs> since it's behind this stupid frosted glass effect. Wouldn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's very. Um, extortionist i guess because yeah. if there was an ad or i had to subscribe or i had to pay then i would just be like well that's just their business model their business model is ads or their business model is we sell our content directly yeah. to consumers and then i can either choose to play along with that business model or not but yeah. this is like and how this, long will this like there will always be part of the internet that's doing this but like, is there going to be a point where not just us that are, like, extra sensitive get bothered by this stuff, but, like, most people just be, like, know enough to know it doesn't have to be this crappy and won't put up with it anymore? Or is the, the seven weird tricks to <laughs> woo your lover going to win out as a title every time? <laughs> I don't – it's – as long as advertising is a sustainable business model, 
then I think the BuzzFeedy link baity click. So maybe we'll get somewhere else and someday we'll look back fondly on like remember when the internet sucked. <laughs> but I I've been to lots of websites that have ads. I listen to a lot of podcasts and there's no way to have a banner ad in a podcast. They have to stop the podcast and have an ad, and that's fine. And since these are just standard audio files, you always can skip it. Yeah, and that's I, I have no problem with people having supporters and advertisers. What I I can't abide is the the wall, the barrier, and the the trying to force you to do something. Yes, yeah, because then it's like we can't get people to engage with our content. What if we hold a gun to their head? Yeah. Does that count as engagement? They're engaging. And it's like, yeah, but they're not really engaging of their own accord. So let's, let's name names. Who were you calling out? Oh, specifically, uh, the it's e-learning industry, um, the, these particular nonsense doers. It's it's a – I assume it's a blog about the e-learning industry. I only got to read two sentences on the post that I was linked to. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> noticing my brother's reply to you on Twitter. Oh, you like so that? Shame on you, e-learning industry. <laughs> Get ready to have your table flipped, you bastards. Yes. See, now that, that was genuine engagement from a listener. Like, that's <laughs> awesome. You know, I didn't say, like, if someone retweets my tweet, then I'll mention you on the show. Like, <laughs> it was just, like, a, he did that because he agreed with the thing but I was if you about. do cover our theme song, you will be on the show. Well, that your song will be on. The but show. we're asking people. We're not saying you can't listen to the podcast yeah. unless you cover. So yeah, I, feel I like, don't think that would work. No, <laughs> probably not. Unless you're every just, every listener <laughs> has to be a contributor to music. That's right. You'd have a really really focused audience, though. <laughs> is this is your first Fight Club? You have to fight <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I, I just. This whole behavior, I mean, definitely, if you haven't seen Tab Close, didn't read, there'll be a link to it in the show notes, and the, the URL is exactly what it sounds like. Um, so check that out, because you have probably been dealing with this and never really thought about how unacceptable like you it is. you know in your gut that you're frustrated, but... Yeah, this, this kind of, in a small way, this likens back to when uh, Spotify went open, not when they first launched... But when they first opened up, they took away the ability to get a Spotify account and you could only log in with Facebook. And I distinctly remember I already had a Spotify account and I had been telling people like, oh, Spotify is pretty neat. You might want to check it out. And then when I realized that you could only log in with Facebook, I stopped recommending it. Yeah. I stopped telling people to go try Spotify. And sure enough, other people must have been doing that because a few weeks later they brought back regular accounts. Yeah, it's no longer required. Thank yeah. God. Um, so before we run out of time, you need to get to – so response etiquette. Why don't you explain this? I do. So res- response etiquette. What I'm talking about here is um, I, I had a, a – a heated discussion recently with someone about the different channels a person can get in touch with you and the different etiquettes we have for responding to each of those. So the reason I'm interested in this is, and this is purely academic, I I have no answers here, but email gets called out constantly for being like a burden, right? Like, 
people just shove email into your inbox and people treat their inboxes like a task list. So it's like you're assigning work to other people to do and then they have to stop what they're doing and yeah. respond to your email. And I mean, I, I work in tech. The majority way people get in touch with me is via email. So I completely sympathize with the social pressure to respond to email immediately. What I don't understand is I have not heard a single peep against like a tweet or a text message or a voicemail, if anybody still uses the phone, mm-hmm. or, or any of these other like common technology ways to get in touch with someone. So on the one hand, I'm curious about why no one seems to be freaking out about those. It's only email. And then the other thing that I just think is kind of an interesting avenue of thought is no one has ever questioned face-to-face communication. By which I mean there are absolutely social norms around face-to-face communication that I have never, ever, ever heard anyone question no matter how much they hate on email and phone calls and text messages. So like going to someone's house at 10 p.m. and expecting to talk to them or what are you thinking of? What I mean is like (laughs) say I'm walking through the halls of this office and and you're going the opposite way. If I say, hey, Mike, you have to answer me. (laughs) Like – Social, yeah. you, you have to. You can't ignore me. No one would feel like it's it's a statement all its own. If exactly, I don't answer right. Like so, you can't just say like, "Oh, I'm just I don't feel like responding. I'm not <laughs> mad at you. I just, I'll respond later." <laughs> yes. So it's like I have forced upon you a synchronous conversation. You have to say something, even if you just go like, "Oh, hey," and then keep walking. You cannot completely ignore me. And even more so, if you did completely ignore me, everyone would say I was justified by being like, I said hi, right? Like, as if I... What's wrong with Mike? (laughs) Yeah, like, hey, man, why aren't you answering me? So I just think it's really interesting that, like, these digital... I mean, this happens all the time. Like, we work in specifically academic technology, and people crap all over technology all the time, but they act like face-to-face stuff is this untouchable, perfect thing. So, I mean... you see this newspapers are the same way. Like, you know, the New York times.com is like, Oh, that's a blog, but the physical dead trees, like that's a real newspaper. (laughs) So I just, this divide is very weird to me. And like, how do you handle different? So if I text you, how quickly do you feel obligated to respond? It depends on what you texted me. Okay. So the content's relevant. Yeah. But that's not all is, I mean, I don't feel obligated to rush to my phone every time it beeps. Okay, so you you have multiple yeah. stops. And so just the fact that my phone beeped, unless I know to be like on call, like my wife is nine months pregnant, it's like, yeah, I'm yeah, going to that later. I'm going to ha- I'm going to watch that like a hawk in case something happens. But like without some other trigger making me more accessible, the phone is for my convenience, not for yours, in getting in touch with me. See, I like that phrase, like. <laughs> Because I've, I've multiple people I've had this discussion with have used that phrase. They're like, I have this tool for me. Not this is not a pager. Yeah. You know, I'm not a doctor who needs to have his pager on all the time. So, what about like, do you differentiate how you handle personal email versus work email? I, I it's all about the content. Like, do I need to deal with this right now? So then that so you do feel obligated to check it and verify and then you make a decision. Yeah, I mean, some kind of healthy schedule of like 
yeah, I'll check my email every day, if not a few times a day. Right. But other than that, it's, yeah, it's a determination of what am I doing? What do I have time to do? I'll get to that later. Like, that's <laughs> that's how I think about it. Yeah. And see, to me, that sounds like the healthy way to do it. But we know from complaints we hear from our friends and family and colleagues all the time that most people I don't think operate that way. Most people feel like this tremendous pressure to respond immediately, to stop what they're doing and handle. So that's the interesting thing because there's, I mean, there's lots of different personalities to email and some people, like if I respond too quickly, they get really used to that. Yeah. And so it's like I almost (laughs) have to train people not because I couldn't respond immediately, but because I don't want you to expect that I'm always on call for you. Yes. So. Well, and I think professionally that's really important. Yeah, you're like, setting boundaries and expectations for. Yeah. And that's, I mean, having spent a big part of my early career in tech support, I had a hard time getting out of the, an email came in, respond to it immediately. You know, because I mean, that was that was my job. My job was the phone's ringing, answer it. Email came in, answer it immediately. And then as I got further into my professional career, I was doing more project based work, and it was like, okay, this thing that came in, it needs to be responded to like today or yeah. by tomorrow at close of business. But I don't have to throw all the work off of my desk, stop what I'm doing. Especially because some kinds of work you need to have a sustained uninterrupted focus to do good work. Yes. So you, you can't just be like interrupted every other second by, for example, someone sticking their head in the door yeah. and asking you a question like that could be really disruptive. <laughs> and so email, you can live with email that way. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm not going to name this person by name, but here's a, here's a fun example of the, the face to face interaction being problematic. Um, I was, on a call, a conference call, and a colleague came and knocked on my closed office door, even though they could see me through the window with the receiver to my ear. And I put the person on hold and went to the door and said, like, what do you want? And this colleague was like, oh, I didn't know if you were busy. And I didn't have time to argue with them right then because I needed to get back to my conference call. But in the back of my mind, I was just thinking – you could see me on the phone, <laughs> and you just made it clear that whatever you have is not that important. So, like, I think that's kind of it. It's falling back the other way, like that being used to, oh, well, if I send an email and they don't respond to it right away, then that's don't not the end of the world. Don't walk down the hall and ask them about the email you sent them. That's a whole other catastrophe. <laughs> but what I mean is is this person was treating face-to-face communication as if it was asynchronous. Like they could knock on my door and if I didn't answer, they would just walk away. <laughs> and that would be it. But it's there's that social pressure. Like they're standing there looking at me. I can see them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like I have to respond. I can't just, you know, tuck my head down and turn away. You gotta close your door or like one of our one of the persons we've worked with before that he was happy that even though our meeting was useless, the meeting was an excuse for him to be away from that kind of interruption. Yes. So he was doing other work during, <laughs> yeah, during the meeting. The and we we're like, sorry that this was a waste of your time. He's like, no, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I've unfortunately heard that from quite a few people 
who afterwards, it's like, oh, I guess I'm really sorry you were invited to this meeting. I guess it turned out you didn't really need to be here. And they're like, no, I was just happy to be away from my desk. It's like, oh, maybe you There's should. just a line of people. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you need, that should be an opportunity for reflection. It's like, I need to set some boundaries. Well, that is, it is irritating when email is, or whatever form of communication popping ahead in your door or I am or whatever is really just someone who can't make decisions for themselves. Not that they're not allowed to make decisions for themselves, but... Go on. But has to get some external approval for everything, and that gets old. Yeah. No, that that's definitely... I think with friends and family, you would probably give that a little bit more of a pass because it's usually less crucial stuff you know like if you're sitting at home doing something and your spouse says you know oh i was thinking uh longhorn for dinner tonight instead of outback and you just go all right so like you technically were involved in the decision but it doesn't feel very very high stakes ha 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 um but if somebody comes in your office and interrupts what you're doing or they email you and and they're like hey can you confirm this decision that you have nothing to do with and that only affects me. It's like, why are you trying to make your problem now my problem? Mm-hmm. Like, because now if this goes wrong, you're going to be like, well, well, Mike said it was all right. <laughs> like, I don't want to be tangentially related to every decision made in my workplace. Yeah. And there's some things that even if you don't make a decision, will work out just fine. <laughs> That's true. That's something that I, I personally have wrestled with and I see other people really struggle with. They're like, well, if I don't sit down and have a firm grasp on this, it's going to get away from me. And it's like, yeah, but it doesn't or like matter. They want decisions made about things that you cannot possibly make a good decision about yet. Like, That's well, when we get there, we have to look and see what the situation is and then make a decision. Right. Trying to ask me now is a waste of time, yes. literally. Yeah. yeah, it's like being reactive is not a way to handle everything, but you can't decide where you're going to stand on the tennis court ahead of time. You have to go to where the ball which, is. Which seat are we going to sit in the movie theater? I don't it know. Depends. We can't say we'll sit dead center if there's already people sitting we'll there. We'll be smart and get there early <laughs> enough to have a choice, but why you want to know the seat number right now? Because <laughs> it's important. I need to write it down in my book. So it, this is, I, I feel like, there's no good way to there, – there's no clear set of rules for this this permission communication issue. So I think just like you shouldn't write a law for everything, we need to have social norms. And I feel like they should probably err on the side of patience. You know, if you text someone and they don't immediately respond – Maybe Don't text them six more times. Yeah, maybe they're in the bathroom. Maybe they're in a place with no signal. Maybe they still want to talk to you. <laughs> so another thing that gets me is like if I text someone a question and they don't respond, you know, I go, okay, they're busy, go about my business. If I find the answer on my own, I'll update them and say, never Ooh. mind, figured it out. Because I don't want them to see my text later and then feel like, they, like they're like they a good person. They actually find the answer to my question, spend the time answering me, and then I'm like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> like, <laughs> nah, I figured it out. <laughs> see, that, that's a nice social – because then you're, you're taking responsibility. Like, hey, I initiated this contact, and now that the contact is useless, 
I'm yeah, closing I no it. longer need you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being available or you know, trying to be available, but now I just want you to know you, you don't have to worry about yeah, this. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, that's I like that. Because, I mean, that just – that falls firmly under the umbrella of, just like, a respectful courtesy. treatment of yeah. other people. I mean, I think this is where it gets interesting to me is because we have so many, so many communication channels. And people who are big on Twitter – I mean, I'm I'm kind of a big deal. But <laughs> I don't really have, like, legions of Twitter followers and I'm okay with that. Um, How many do you have? Oh, probably, like, less than 200. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, and and that's that's fine. But people who have like legions of Twitter followers, like hundreds or thousands or even even tens of thousands or more, they think nothing of having like a list of curated people that they actually care about. And then if they happen to respond to other people, that's fine. And when you have like a a public to celebrity kind of relationship, like if I send a fan letter to Bill Murray, it would be cool if he wrote back, but I don't expect him to write back, right? Whereas with a close relation or a colleague or something, I expect a response, but only over certain channels. Like if I at, even you, like we work together every single day. If I at reply you on Twitter and you don't respond, I'm not going to be like, dude, what's up with that? (laughs) I'm like, you made a joke. It was a good joke. Yeah, it's, it's fine. I had nothing to add. <laughs> yeah, so this is where I feel like the social norms become so complicated because so it, tweeting So do you have a hierarchy of, in your mind? So like... So face-to-face... Which demands yeah. a response? Face-to-face is just established norms. Yeah, face-to-face always responds. Um, I'm going to do a podcast episode where I don't <laughs> respond to you. No. <laughs> I just start talking about something else like you're not here. That would be really disjointed for the listeners, but funny. Um, so, yeah, face-to-face is, is like an obvious – I don't think we can do anything about those social norms. It's nor okay. that we should. I'm okay. Yeah. Um, <coughs> text messaging and phone calls, I think a response is expected – text messaging is – I think res- a response is expected almost immediately. Yeah, people tend to expect that you will have your phone and that yeah. you will answer pretty um, quickly. A phone call, I don't think people expect you to answer, but they do expect you to call back. I think people used to expect someone to answer. Yes. No, they, not anymore. Not anymore, but there was a time when they did. But they still expect follow-up of some kind. It can't just die. Yeah. Um, email, they definitely expect a response. And I would say a lot of people expect an immediate response or within like an hour. Definitely that day. Yeah. Like email, a day old email is like, it's growing mold. Yeah. And then for some people, I would say social networks are a gray area. For me, if I don't get a response via social network, I do not feel If someone just posts like a funny picture, I guess they expect me to like it, but. Right. Or star it or whatever, plus one it. But but, but I mean, if I at reply someone directly and they don't respond on Twitter or if I tag someone on, I mean, I don't use Facebook anymore. Maybe it's not so much that there's a time expectation. It's just there is no guaranteed response. Exactly. So it's like that. But if you're like a social media maven or or you're like a teenager and that is your main communication channel, you may have your own like subset of social norms. And I'm I, – I, I need some communication channels in my life that are instant and for emergencies and I need others that are asynchronous and possibly dead ends. Yeah. And then there's a whole other conversation around 
um, the person? Because you mentioned content and you kind of alluded to like if my wife is nine months pregnant. But like if I get on any channel, email, phone call, text message, whatever, if I see that it's from my wife, that will get a response no matter how frivolous yeah. the channel is. And a lot of the like – I know iOS has this and Android might have something similar. Like you can say this person is a VIP. Yes. So even if you've muted every other kind of notification for every app, it'll say this person is special. It yeah. comes through anyway. Yeah, which is basically the pregnant wife app yeah. or the, you know, the ER doctor app. Like yeah. it's I need this channel to always be open no matter what. And that's that's fine, but that just further blurs the already <laughs> incredibly blurred lines because it's like but that's for me to decide because the tool is for me. <laughs> no, but it is for you to decide. But now we've built up so much responsibility on the sender and receiver's part because you have all these different channels. You have to verify the content and see if it's actually valuable. You have to have notifications set up in yeah. a way that the channels are actually useful to you. Like it's <laughs> it's this rat's nest. And every time they announce like a new social tool or something, I'm just like, no more. <laughs> Please, God, no more. How many ways do I need to send text to another human being? Yeah. I can solve problems. I can send text, images, audio, and video on like nine different channels already. I just hate how uh, SMS is still with us. But beyond <laughs> that, um, that as soon as the carriers realized they couldn't really make money on it, they just made it all or nothing. Like you get no text messages or, or you pay 20 messages. bucks a month. And I'm like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I, I see exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Another fun technology thing. Do you know why text messages are like why carriers push them so hard? Because they cost nothing. They literally cost nothing because they actually fit text messages into the gaps on the voice line. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I'm sure there are people who could explain the technology better than I could because I'm not a telephony guy. But it's so interesting that at some point someone looked at wireless communications and said, oh, you know, there's like these little gaps where we could fit like two or 300 characters of text, just like plain text. So why don't we just cram some text in there? And then mm -hmm. the Comcasts and the Verizons and the Bell Souths of the world came out and were like, and charge 25 cents for them. Yeah. And it was like, no, but the space was literally already there. It costs us nothing to provide the service. Twenty-five cents a piece. <laughs> it's, it's like, Ugh. I mean, I don't blame them for wanting to make money. The kicker money. for me was like with my Mo Motorola Razor <laughs> back in the day, <laughs> taking pictures. To the only way to get those pictures off my phone was to picture message them to an email address. Oh. And <laughs> no, my phone. The bad old days. Not technologically. My phone had USB and had Bluetooth. Right. There were technological channels where software permitting you could. Right. Well, guess how they made the software? Yeah. Guess what? If you had an unlocked razor, what you could do? <laughs> <laughs> if it's you had a razor on a different carrier, yeah, you can just zip, zip all your messages over to a computer. Right. Guess what Verizon did? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this. And I, at least. Not that I'm excusing them, but at least they could honestly say, well, pictures take up real space on the network. But if it goes over Bluetooth, right. no, not using their network. That's them forcing you to pay them money. Yeah. But they're at least justified in charging money. They're not justified in forcing you to use the service that costs money. That's the table I'm flipping. Exactly. <laughs> but so like that's, that's unambiguously 
shitty of them, <laughs> but they at least in their minds have like some justification. Charging for a text message, there is no just there's no way in hell you could possibly justify that to me. You just can't. It's it's like there's nothing else like it. Like that's why people get so upset about it when they find out how it works. There's no other dead space that I know of. Yeah. It's like if they charged you for the space between words in a book. It was like, oh, well, we'll we're happy to sell you the words all smushed together, but if you'd like and space you also, between like, them. I don't know if there's a good way you can prevent yourself from receiving SMS. So it's like... Uh, you could Some, most phones and networks let you block. I guess. I mean, nobody does it Just anymore. to be like, I don't want to pay for it, and I want to make sure I don't receive any, so I don't pay 25 cents yes. every time. I, I know at least Verizon used to let you do that, because there was a time when I had to do that. Yeah. So I imagine most of them Because, like, when you. you get to that, like, oh, 98% of my network are using either Google Hangouts or iMessage or right. whatever. Yeah, and we're still in a place where um, there's no notification of that. Like, I know that when I had blocked text messages, no one knew that until they asked me, like, hey, I texted you, like, 20 times last night to tell you where you're going out. an error message back? No. They just go out and die. It may be different now, (laughs) but at least at the time, they just went out and died. And this actually, um, this circles me back to this whole notifications, permission, communication channels thing. Because what I realized is a lot, a lot of notifications fall into what I've heard called 10-4 notifications. So you have a Pebble watch Mm -hmm. and the benefit of that Pebble watch is that if your wife texts you and says like, Hey, I'm going to be 15 minutes late. You can just look at that and be like, she's going to be 15 minutes late. I now know everything I need to know. Mm -hmm. And the extension of that is she may want to know that, you know, yeah. Right. So there, she's expecting the reply that just says like, K, you know, (laughs) So, or a lot of these instant message apps will just have, like, presence or, like, iMessage will say red and the time you read it. Or yes. Google Hangouts shows a little avatar. Yes, and this is exactly what I'm getting to is... <laughs> I'm always stealing your thunder. <laughs> no, this this is awesome because this means I'm explaining myself at least passably. <laughs> so, but with email, one of the worst things people can do in email is a red notification. Yeah. Because an email is, like a task to do a thing. Like I'm putting this work and I need to know that you know about this work so that I'm like controlling your schedule. But with a pseudo synchronous conversation channel, like text messaging or hangout or iMessage or whatever, I just, sometimes I just need to know that they saw it. Like Like, I might have more to say, but if he's not here, why bother? Yes. (laughs) So I think this is an interesting thing in face to face communication because you sort of get that for free. And this, yeah, if this, I'm staring <laughs> off, your story might. <laughs> right. But this, I actually made this, this analogy to, to my wife. I said, because we were discussing this, and she, of course, was reprimanding me for taking something way farther than it needed to be taken. Yeah. Because I'm a philosopher at heart. And my argument was, if you're talking to someone, and they say, like, like say you're, you're at home with your wife, Mike. And she's getting ready to go out. And she says, hey, I'm leaving. If she can see you and she knows you heard her and you don't respond, she would probably just walk out the door. If she can't see you and you didn't say anything back, she might be like, I said I'm leaving. You know? Hey. (laughs) Right. Because it's like she doesn't really want a response. She just needs confirmation that you heard her. 
So this so like, I don't like wake up from my f- whatever food coma later and be like, where'd Shelby go? <laughs> she was here a minute ago. Oh God, it was hours ago. Yeah, I just that's why I think like the we're never going to reach a true parity between digital and face to face communication because you get some of that. I know you're listening for free, right? And like, or I know your device is on at least. <laughs> yeah, and like with an email, like I have started to craft the ends of my emails in a particular way. If I don't want people to continue that conversation, like I consider this done. Whereas right now, when I stand up and walk out of this room, you will know we are done talking. Yeah. Like I don't have to say, well, we're done talking, Mike. Like I'll just be gone. So like in movies where they don't say bye on the phone. (laughs) They don't say bye. They don't, they never get their change at the cash register. Never go to the bathroom. (laughs) Well, that one I'm thankful for. I don't need, any movies. Unless there's a, a comedic reason they don't go to the bathroom. Yeah, unless someone's gassy or they're going to drop their cell phone in the or toilet. Or they're going to get attacked if they're a secret agent. <laughs> yeah, yep. That's a big one. Because then you get the, the true, what was it, true lies? Yeah. The, the awesome fight in the bathroom and he comes back and he's all like disgusting. <laughs> it was a good fight. Schwarzenegger smashing somebody's head into a porcelain sink. I just, uh, when you bring up that movie, it's, isn't his big one-liner at the end when he launches the rocket, a guy who goes, you're fired. Yes. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, is it you're fired? It's something I th- like I that. I think it is, because the guy, he's like stuck on the yeah. rocket, like by his like suspenders or his, his jacket or something. And then, yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> That's, I have very fond memories of watching that movie with my older brother and my dad as a kid. And when I go back now and watch it, I'm like, wow, this is really cheesy 90s action. And I love it. James Cameron. <laughs> it's so good. It's such. In a pretty surprisingly <laughs> decent Super Nintendo game. Really? Yeah. Huh. I don't know how well it holds up, but I remember it was, <laughs> it was gory. Like, had blood when he shot the guys. Uh, it, was like an, it, was, right it was like an overhead shooter. Oh, kind of like the, uh, the first GTA? Like that straight yeah. top down? Yeah, straight top down. And you just ran around and shot guys and picked up shotguns and whatever. Yeah, so it's exactly like a Schwarzenegger movie, yeah. except it's in 8-bit. And I think your big move was you could do a dive roll. <laughs> and so you would just do that all the time. Tactical. Yeah, so that that's my my treaties on communication channels. And like I said at the beginning, I have no. there's no way to resolve this. I just I'm, – I'm overwhelmed by the idea that – like with you, I have to have a set of rules and with my wife, I have to have a set of rules and with my certain colleagues, I have to have a set of rules because I know what their rules are and I have to base my rules on their rules. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, it's overwhelming. It's, I don't think there's a good technological solution to this. This is the, this is very much like everybody wants to fix cheating in higher ed by like locking down the yeah. technology. That doesn't work. There's no way to enforce these social norms. Well, like I would be very concerned about a business trying to, count whatever way a certain piece of software measures presence as your presence at work. Yes. Because then you're only catering to a very specific kind of worker. Yes. You're catering to someone who is in Outlook all day and who has Word open and Excel typing into those tools all day. And that's if they go to a meeting and they close their laptop, they are suddenly not at work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If they go to the bathroom and their lap, their screen goes to sleep, they're like, are they off the clock? (laughs) I mean, that's a very strict and, overly regimented way to manage and and it facilitates that it's like oh i see that mike is 
present in, yeah. in this presence tool, it facilitates me then forcing stuff on you because like, I know you're sitting I'm, there. I'm a big fan of the results speak for the work. Yeah. And so I don't want to micromanage someone's process because I don't think I'm the only way someone works. Yes. You know, I but hear- if they're never getting anything done and the things they do to gun are terrible, then okay, we have yeah. something to talk about. You know, in software design, I hear people use the phrase black box negatively very often. Like, well, I put data in there and then I have no idea how the product comes out. It's like, That's how I, you're supposed to test your functions though, isn't it? It is. <laughs> but if you want to then know how it works, yeah. so in case you need to make tweaks to it. But I feel like there are a lot of instances where that black box kind of setup is not only not harmful, but beneficial. For example, if I come to you and I say, hey, Mike, I need you to make this graphic for stickers we're going to print for work because you're now the graphics guy. (laughs) So I come to you and I ask you to do that. I don't really gain anything from standing over your shoulder and watching you use Photoshop. And I will hate you. And you'll hate me. (laughs) And I'll it'll it'll actually detract from the process. So if I just walk away and then – an hour, a day, or a week, or a month later, you're like, hey, I'm done. Here's the finished product. Like, as long as you got it to me in the amount of time we agreed that the work would be done, that's fine. You know, if you come to me and you're like, hey, something, you know, with the LMS is totally broken, it needs to be fixed by the meeting this afternoon. Like, you don't have to stand there and watch me push buttons. Certain kinds of work, yeah, like, you need kind of some space to focus. And, yeah, if I was just in a widget factory pushing a button (laughs) – Maybe it would benefit by having me be watched because then I, because it's not creative work. Right. (laughs) It's like. But I mean, even then, it's like if in that case. If I'm making enough widgets, who cares? Exactly. (laughs) If you, when, when the boss turns his back, if you lay down on a recliner and push the widget button with your toe instead of your index finger, (laughs) should that matter? You know, I mean, there's an argument to like, well, if we observe people's process, maybe we can find ways to make the whole machine run smoother. And I get that. But those are reflective periods. That shouldn't be a micromanaging strategy. So we're getting close to 10 o'clock. We are. So I'm going to tie the communication thing and your micromanaging point together and say, never, ever go ask someone if they just got the email you sent them. Yeah. Ever. Doesn't make any. (laughs) Yeah. Don't switch channels and be like, did you get that thing on the other channel? (laughs) <laughs> oh, God, it's so frustrating. I want to start tweeting at people and being like, hey, I'm about to text you. Like, I want to preemptively <laughs> follow up or, like, email them and be like, I will be calling you in 35 there seconds. There is a Seinfeld episode about this, just to briefly mention the uh, – Really? It, I think it was the either – an so you know they're always dating someone that exhibits these things so it was sure. either an escalator or a de-escalator. Like, I think it was like I called him and he answered with a text – Ah. And I texted him, and he wrote me an email. <laughs> and, like, it's just, like, he always takes it down just a notch. Yeah, ratchets it down. <laughs> yeah, that does sound like something Seinfeld would tackle. So, good. I'm at least as clever as and insightful as Jerry Seinfeld. I, Not as rich. Is that the conclusion? That is, yes. And only a clever and insightful person would put those two things together. Well, maybe you'll get some more Twitter followers. Where can people <laughs> find you on the internet? People can find me on the internet at Lions and Beta on Twitter or lionsandbeta.com or plus David Lyons on the, the Google's pluses. Okay. What about you, Mike? I'm M. Edwards Music on Twitter or pseudomichael.com. And you can find show notes for this lovely episode 
at flippingtablespodcast.com slash zero two five. Yes. And if you liked the cover that Reptile Fiction did of our theme song, there will be a link to their bandcamp in the show notes. So mm-hmm. definitely go check out more. And you of their can music. hear the full three minute version of his cover song. Yes, he didn't do some schlocky fifteen seconds. I know that's all they're gonna use. This is a full Dr. Wiley level at the end of Mega Man eight and a half. And it has a great ending too. <laughs> it does. So go check out Reptile Fiction. And uh, I guess we'll see you guys next week. All right. 